Happy first Monday after daylight savings time starts, Seth. How's it going? Great. It's very bright. It is. It's actually still technically light out when we're starting recording, which is rare for us, which I'm very excited about. I don't know about you, though. Today has been not totally a disaster, but like there's definitely been enough that I can clearly blame on daylight savings time, at least as a scapegoat. Yeah. I don't know. (laughs) I said yeah, but I don't know if I can blame it on daylight savings time. Well... I was working today, it was like 1.55 and I was working on something. I was like, oh, I have a meeting at 2 on Zoom. It's like, cool, I'll finish up. Next time I looked at my clock, it was 2.06. Crap! <laughs> and I rushed in. And then I was sharing my screen during this meeting, and I did the ultimate Zoom faux pas of multitasking while I was sharing my <laughs> screen. <laughs> so, Ooh. yeah, not, not my best day. Not my best day. My day started when I broke the handle on our toilet. Literally the literally the Excellent. very first thing. It was I got up, used the bathroom, flushed the toilet, and the handle was like kind of sticking. So I just pushed it down harder and it just snapped right off. So then I had to go later in the day and buy a new toilet handle and install it. Wow. Well, let's hope we can turn this day around with a very special question. What would you do in this particular situation? Would you want to eat at an all-you-can-eat gourmet pizza buffet for one meal or have access to an all-you-can-drink beer and cocktail bar for one month? Oh, I feel like I'm going to... I think we're going to disagree. I'm going pizza. That sounds just delicious. Like, I like beer. But I'm not in love with beer. But I love pizza. <laughs> so I'm going pizza. See, I did change the time frame. Because obviously, like, an all-you-can-drink versus all-you-can-eat pizza buffet is like a very clear choice for one sitting. But I think based solely on the finances of it, I would go with the beer in the cocktail bar. Because, you know, you could try, like, some really fancy, expensive things. You don't have to, like, get plastered drunk every day. You can just try some things that you like. And beer and cocktails are expensive. And so you get to enjoy it without having to worry about the finances. Although, I would be very jealous of your all-you-could-eat pizza meal. You and I have put down some pizzas. Yeah, we have. That's totally true. I would just say about the pizza... You can still save a lot of money off the pizza. Because, like, gourmet pizza... Depending on how much pizza yeah, you Yeah, I can eat, put yeah. away a lot of pizza. One time, this is, like, Patty and I was, like, fourth date. We got a large pizza. And she ate two pieces. And I had eaten four pieces. So there were two pieces left. And the waitress comes. We're, like, at the pizza place. The waitress comes and she's like, oh, do you need a box? And I was like, no, I'll eat it. She's like, okay. She walk, like she walks away. I eat them. And then she comes back a little bit later and she looks at me and she goes, good job. <laughs> so, so now I'm always like, she called me fat. That waitress, like, I don't know how I feel about that. Well, let's get this back on track. I know. I was going to say, I also am looking forward to telling you good job after you read our passage for today. So why don't you read it for us? This is Isaiah 55. Verses 1 through 9 from the Common English Bible. 
All of you who are thirsty, come to the water. Whoever has no money, come buy food and eat. Without money, at no cost, buy wine and milk. Why spend money for what isn't food, and your earnings for what doesn't satisfy? Listen carefully to me, and eat what is good. Enjoy the richest of feasts. Listen and come to me. Listen, and you will live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful loyalty to David. Look, I made him a witness to the peoples, a prince and commander of peoples. Look, you will call a nation you don't know. A nation you don't know will run to you because of the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, who has glorified you. Seek the Lord when he can still be found. Call him while he is yet near. Let the wicked abandon their ways and the sinful their schemes. Let them return to the Lord so that he may have mercy on them. To our God, because he is generous with forgiveness. My plans aren't your plans, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. Just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my plans than your plans. Thanks for reading that, Seth. And this at least has some elements to it that I think might be familiar to us, but before we dig into some of that, what was it that stood out to you from this reading today? What stood out to me is actually what comes right before the part that I'm most familiar with. So I'm most familiar with verse 8. My plans aren't your plans. Or my ways aren't your ways. But I think I often hear that not in the context that it's surrounded by. So that was that was the first thing that jumped out at me. Is the line right before it is our is our God because he is generous with forgiveness. That's a beautiful line. And I just think there's a connection there that I often don't hear when people are talking about this verse. Seth, I think you're spot on in identifying a really key moment in this passage. Because I was referring to the very end of these verses when I think of the stuff that might be most familiar to us. And again, to read what you already read, my plans aren't your plans, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. Just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my plans than your plans. I don't know about you, Seth, but you, you talked about not often hearing I would say the full context that you identified, identifying God being generous with abundant forgiveness. What contexts do you normally hear that passage in? Usually I hear it in a way that's like, don't, don't ask too many questions because you won't understand what God is up to because God's ways are higher than your ways. Yeah. Yeah. I'm right in the same boat. It's usually questions of suffering questions of like deep theology especially when you're challenging something that might be the dominant view in a space it's like this argument tactic that just denies the possibility of further exploration it, it is a conversation ender yeah. when this passage is thrown around it honestly reminds me i think i might have told this story on the podcast before 
But it reminds me when I was in high school at our church, we were searching for a new worship pastor and it was in a Baptist congregation at the time. So it was a congregational decision at the end of the day. And my dad had actually led the search committee for the new pastor and the committee made the recommendation and a presentation. And this was after the church service on Sunday morning. And the first person stood up who was a leader in the church and said, does the committee believe this is God's will for our congregation? And my dad being him, like gave a very thoughtful answer about how they discerned the decision and, and everything. But, you know, fully anticipating a large congregation having more questions about this significant decision. No one else asked anything because once it was affirmed that it was God's will, <laughs> no one else felt like they could ask any questions, even if they had them. So I'm just convinced that he just wanted to get to lunch first. That was a pretty good tactic. Right. He wanted to just end the meeting. Like, because Do you either, think this is God's will? Yep. Okay. <laughs> it's either It either turns out really well, really quickly, as it did, or if my dad were, for whatever reason, <laughs> to say no. <laughs> but that's the thing, right? Is when you, you pull out this passage, oftentimes, and you hear it said, how it's often used... And it's just like, stop asking questions, stop digging deeper, stop challenging me or the powers that are around us, and just get that you are not God, and God is bigger than us, God is stronger than us, God comprehends things better than us. Yeah, that's a really significant moment. If we go to the very beginning of the passage, and this is the root of your, what would you do in this particular situation? I think that part is also fascinating. Mm-hmm. The heading in the CEB is invitation to the feast, but all these, but all these statements about if you don't have any money, come. You know why spend money for what isn't food? Like come anyway and feast on what does satisfy. That's also fascinating. And so lost in the statement of like what, you know, what are the plans that God has and you're too small to ever know them. Right. Yeah. I'm just so struck by that imagery, honestly. And I think it helps even more to remember where in Isaiah this falls to. So I know we've talked about this on the podcast before, but just a reminder to everyone that the book of Isaiah probably could reasonably be called 1st, 2nd, and 3rd Isaiah, depending on the time frame, that the portions of the text seem to have taken shape based on how most scholars understand it. That there's more so an Isaiah school of prophecy that took shape and impacted Israel's experience over a number of years in different situations, rather than one guy following uh, Israel around over generations. This passage comes right at the end of 2nd Isaiah, which is the portion of Isaiah Mm -hmm. that is written kind of in exile, but as exile is ending. So there is a full awareness of the pain and tribulation of exile, but there's also hope for restoration. And I think that hope is pretty clear here. 
there's a beautiful image of a feast. But I think it's particularly interesting for all of this to come at a time when Israel was hopefully anticipating, but surely pretty anxious about what was to come. And I'm wondering, Seth, if that additional context provides you with any other thoughts about how this passage kind of rings true for us or how it rang true for Israel back in the day. When I think about that context, my plans aren't your plans, nor are your ways my ways. It seems, A, much more comforting and less dismissive, but it also just seems like a rallying cry for people who have been persecuted. They might not understand what has happened to them. You know, like, the wounds are still really fresh. And what the future looks like is unclear. But then we get that line right before that we were just talking about. That's kind of about who God is. Right? That God is really generous with forgiveness. I think that might be so comforting to hear. Like when you don't know where you're going or what you're doing. It's like even if I even if I mess up, I go home. Because I go to this place that was, you know, my ancestor's home. But I've never been there. It doesn't really feel like home to me yet. Like, what if that's, what if that's the wrong plan? Mm. I think it would be really helpful in that context to hear this, this kind of cry. That, like, God is so generous. And that's what's higher generous with forgiveness that is it seems like it's more comforting than it is dismissive like i said i agree yeah really really agree it is it is a lot different to think about this passage coming from a god who is expressing comfort for those who have been displaced than it is thinking about the religious establishment using it to dismiss people who are challenging them I think that's a grossly out of context use of this passage. And I think it would be more appropriate for us to think about how, let's say, the war that was affecting the people of Ukraine, or the violence affecting the people of Guatemala or Syria. Imagine that ended and things were settling down, and the government or the people in charge there said, It's time, come back home. Like, this passage would be offered to the people who are still waiting in the foreign land, thinking about an invitation to go back to the place that they once called home. Like, that's the space where this passage comes into play. And so you're exactly right. I really don't read it as dismissive at all, which is how it's so often weaponized. Instead, I hear it as... I mean, the best word for it is comfort. It's assurance. It is this indication that, hey, we we know. We know we've been through. But trust us, something more is, is coming. I think if we if we haven't made the formal declaration that we're in, what's the point? 
I think we're either there or like we're dancing on the tip of a needle about you know about to fall off into into what's the point yeah absolutely it, you know Seth I, I really wanted to tie this experience in this passage today to the season of Lent again to continue this experience a season where we're in many ways reflecting on our humanity and our mortality. And I'm wondering, you know, it's easy to make the connection to, I think, the way that we've talked about this passage being taken out of context and abused in the season of Lent, right? Like, oh, this is a season to remind ourselves that we are but dust, and to dust we shall return. And God is so much greater than all of our broken ways and all these things that just put us down and lift God up. And I think some of that is appropriate because at the end of the day, uh, though I believe the divine image is deeply embedded in all of us, there is also a distinction between humanity and God. A distinction that I hope and pray becomes less and less noticeable. (laughs) A distinction maybe that becomes less and less distinct over time. But we're not there. I don't know what getting there would look like. Hmm. But I think if we take this reframing of this passage as an invitation to restoration, an invitation to abundant forgiveness, an invitation to security for people who are on the margins and have been oppressed, have been led into exile... I think that message might ring a little differently for us in Lent as a result. So if we're not concerned about how God is so much bigger and higher than us, but rather is offering profound comfort, what do you think that means for us in Lent when we're reflecting on our own humanity and mortality? I always think of the thought experiment that's like, could there be happiness without sadness? That's sort of how I think about Lent. Like you never get to really experience the the joy of being made in God's image. You don't get to experience those to the fullest unless you've also sort of dealt with what it means to be made in God's image and to be broken. And to know that God loves you and to know also that you're not perfect. I just think like when we think about Lent and how it can be kind of depressing and the songs are sad, we do all that because it also makes, it makes us even more able to hear the good news when it comes and to connect it to our text. I just wonder if these comforting words from Isaiah would have any meaning at all if you know, the, the Israelites were never exiled. You know, if everything goes right all the time, do you need to hear that, you know, my plans aren't your plans? Or you just think, oh, yeah, okay. That, that's good. I already knew that. Everything's going my way. Everything's fine. In the same way, I think that sometimes when, you know, we experience things that, that are hard, Sometimes we don't always want to hear. 
It also can prepare us to hear God's gracious good news about who we are. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's important to remember that, like, identifying that for ourselves is one thing and imposing that on others, Mm. much like we might impose... Uh, interpretation of God's ways being higher than our ways on others is where we get into some really dangerous territory. But I think it's the the call of our faith to see and understand these challenging experiences as ones from which and through which and by which we are redeemed because God is mm-hmm. present with us offering comfort in the midst of it. You know, I'm struck, um, as you were talking, I'm reminded of the book that I'm in the middle of right now and just so enjoying. It's called This Here Flesh by Cole Arthur Riley. And I've mentioned her on the podcast before. She's the, uh, I would say, genius behind the Instagram account Black Liturgies. And she's released a book now that's just an incredible reflection on contemplation and the spiritual life. Um, and she's writing about space in this one chapter. And she talks about the birds. <laughs> And I know for me, I'm always really frustrated that birds are hopping along the ground (laughs) when they can fly. (laughs) It's actually a source of deep rage for me sometimes. But she writes about how birds, as they were evolving, actually had developed the ability to fly before they had the space to fly. And a lot of scientists Mm. identify birds' early ancestors as living under the ground. And it was when they found each other that they began to sing. And when they left the ground that they were able to then fly. But part Mm -hmm. of what some scientists believe, and I think a lot of uh, more religious or spiritual people have picked up on, is that birds return to the ground to remind themselves of the space from which they came. There's like this intrinsic draw back to where they came from. Hmm. they're very rarely resting from being tired of flying (laughs) but are quite literally grounding themselves and so i think of that with lent too right like we are not broken anymore The, the good news of god tells us that that we are made new and being made new and yet during lent we return to the spaces from which we've come through which we've come to remind ourselves, as you've so eloquently said, Seth, of all that God has done. Reminding ourselves of the darkness, of the sadness, of the grief and the pain. To remind us of that space where God first met us and where they continue to meet us day in and day out. I was just, I was just so struck by that image that highly recommend everyone going to buy from your local bookstore check out from your local library riley's book it's just it's just so profound in so many more ways than the one snippet i pulled out of it i'm gonna check it out i'm aware of her work like for black liturgies but and and i'm i'm only aware of her book to the point that you've told me about it but that's that's such a great image with the birds. To be clear, I'm not going to stop being frustrated at birds for not flying. But it is helpful to understand a little bit more. Yeah, if I were a bird, I would just fly constantly. 
<laughs> but maybe not. I say that, but just like we just heard, even when you can fly constantly. Like you don't always want to. There's something about going back to where to where you're from. To being on the ground. That's real meaningful. So I say that now. Knowing that if I was a bird, maybe I'd want to, maybe I'd want to kind of go home too, hmm. be grounded sometimes. Well, can I pray for us, Seth, <laughs> that that might become a reality of our experience this Lent? I would love that. All right, let's pray. God of the birds, thank you for meeting us in the places where we felt pain even though we might already be healed. Help us to see others in their pain so that we might find you where you've always been, among the last, the least, the lost, and the left behind. Mindful of the many names by which your children cry out to you from all over the world, I pray in the name of the one who has prepared a feast for all of us, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Next week, we're talking about reconciliation. But until then, thanks for walking us through that story, Jonathan. Thanks for helping me tell it. Yeah, that's, that's how the, I feel about that. That's the hardest thing, it seems to me, about food service is, like, making conversation with people without, like, being very judgmental like i hate when people come up and say oh well you hated that didn't you when you like licked the plate clean in like three minutes i'm like not amused by their attempt at banter with me about how quickly i consumed my plate (laughs) there's there's this it's there's this chain restaurant near us they don't have many locations though called cheddars and they made spaghetti and then they put chicken fingers on top and they made it like a parmesan it was called chicken tender spaghetti parmesan imagine that (laughs) and i ordered it one time ate all of it and then the waitress came again and said wow i've never seen anyone eat the whole thing and i was like why didn't you tell me that before i ate the whole thing (laughs) seth i think we need to go find some of these like like the Food Network, like incredible food challenges. I think we could tag team pretty well. Oh yeah, we could. Like those ones where you got to eat like a, like a huge pizza between the two of you. Yeah, we should do a combination podcast tour and food challenges tour. <laughs> We'd have to give us at least two days of recovery time before <laughs> the next podcast event. Yes. <laughs>